And now, another Oprah and Friends exclusive. You have heard her on Oprah's Soul series. It takes a fearless spirit to live in the mystery. Now it's your turn to talk to spiritual adventurer and author Elizabeth Lesser. Or your questions and comments on a new earth, please call 866-OPRA-XM now. That's 866-OPRA-XM, 866-677-2496. Now, live on Oprah and Friends, it's Elizabeth Lesser. And direct from a New Earth webcast with Oprah and Eckhart Tolle, I'm so happy to bring you a New Earth after show, which is designed exclusively for you, the Oprah and Friends listener. And I'm Elizabeth Lesser. I'm your host for this next hour. And because this show is designed exclusively for you, I want you to become part of the dialogue. I want you to become a member of this unprecedented global multimedia community event uh, by calling. Call me with any questions you might have at 866-OPRA-XM. That's 866-677-2496. Each week, more than a million people have been um, watching this largest classroom on Earth, uh, this wonderful discussion that Oprah and Eckhart Tolle are having about his book, A New Earth. And so if you listening here at XM have a question for me, perhaps you've read this week's chapter, chapter five, which is entitled The Pain Body. If you want to understand that better or anything in the book, I welcome you to give a call. If this is your first time tuning into this show, um, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and why I've been invited to host it. For the past two months, I've been working very closely with Oprah and Eckhart Tolle to devise this online curriculum. This is something new for Oprah and for Eckhart to be doing uh, a webcast around the book. And uh, I've been creating interactive educational experiences for 30 years at the school that I started, Omega Institute for Holistic Studies, and that's why Oprah invited me to help her create this curriculum. Uh, I'm also the author of Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, which is really a lot about this pain body subject that um, Eckhart and Oprah were talking about tonight. And I'm also the author of The Seeker's Guide. So uh, last week, I wanted to end the broadcast with a story to welcome in spring. But just as I started telling the story, um, the music came up telling me to end the the radio show, and so I left you all without a spring story. So in case you've been waiting to kick off your spring for my story, I'm going to tell it to you right now. Uh, it is about the writer Goethe, the uh, famous German philosopher and poet, and um, he was passing one of the great European cathedrals of his time, and he noticed that the usual group of beggars was standing outside um the 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 church and he noticed that they were putting money in the cup of just one of the beggars and so he wondered why what's up with that guy he went over and uh, that beggar had a simple sign and it said it's spring and i am blind it's spring and i am blind and it was then that the writer came to have this deep sense of gratitude 
just for being alive, for being able to see, for being able to perceive the spring. And that's a great story to start this week off with, because what we're talking about in Chapter 5 of Eckhart's book, A New Earth, is that there's something inside each of us human beings that keeps us from seeing the spring, that keeps us from being grateful every moment just for the fact that we're here, that we have a body, that we have senses, that we have each other. We wake up every day and we approach life as if it's some sort of daily chore, like a battle against other people, against time, against situations. And um, Eckert says that, that the incapacity to wake up and be present and grateful in life is, is really the, the deepest tragedy of human existence. When I first met my, my husband-to-be, he sent me a card uh, this was quite a few years ago before e- email when people still used the, the U.S. post office. And um, the picture on the front of this card uh, was a woman standing in front of the open freezer door of her refrigerator, and she's holding this tray of ice cubes, and she has tears in her eyes, and she's saying, Dear God, perfect ice cubes again. And then the caption at the bottom says, overwhelmed by life's beauty and magic. And I keep that card on our refrigerator. It reminds me to take time every day to notice the little miracles. And I realize that we don't have time to stand around gaping at ice cubes in our freezer. But it is worth asking yourself every day, why are you shut down to just the miracle of being alive So Chapter 5 of A New Earth is an answer to that question. And uh, Eckert says that what's standing between us and our ability to appreciate life is what he calls the pain body. Remnants of negative emotions, they accumulate in the body. Mm -hmm. I ate mine. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then together they form what I call energy form. Entity is another word for it. Mm -hmm. An energy form lives in you. You may not be aware of all the time because some of the time it is dormant and it's only active for a certain percentage of time. Negative thoughts will feed the pain body. This is one of the favorite ways Mm -hmm. the pain body to feed is on your own thinking. Mm -hmm. So this is very important for people to realize, to observe within themselves that an addiction to negativity arises. And if you can recognize that, then you're no longer totally at the mercy of it. Right, because the awareness dissipates it. Yes. 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 Well, Oprah just walked into the studio. Hello, Oprah. Hello, Les. (laughs) I love that poem you gave me. Oh, that wanna... great? That was fantastic. Do you have it with you? Yes, I do. Can you read it again? Stand Still. This is a poem called Lost by David Wagner that I received on Saturday morning as I was, um, you know, feeding the dogs, and Luke and Layla, and getting ready to walk them. And my whole afternoon was going to be devoted to just sort of sitting under my trees and being and reading. And I received this poem from you. Uh, that I'd never actually heard. I'd never heard of David Wagner. I should have. Where have mm. I been? 
Well, he's he's an American poet, but I don't think many people have heard about him. Maybe they will now. Maybe they will. And the poem is called Lost, and it says, uh, Liz, Liz sent this to me saying, this is to read under your trees today. And it says, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, Here, no two trees are the same to raven, no two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Mm. Boy, did I love that poem. I used to use it to help teach meditation. Yeah. Because sometimes people think meditation is a very dry, mm-hmm. boring thing. Mm-hmm. But it's really just about sitting still and letting the moment find you and know your name and be seen. And It's a wonderful experience. Well, as I was sharing tonight at the beginning of the class uh, with Eckhart, um, the reading of this book, and now I'm on my third read, um, the reading of this book has been life-changing for me on so many levels. First of all, to be able to experience it and to have you to be a part of the workbook and the millions of people who've now downloaded and have become a part of our awakening consciousness, uh, not just for the world, but particularly for themselves. It, nothing excites me more than having people lead the life that I know that we were all born to, to lead. But for myself, it has just been a calming, uh, I'm less stressful, and I find magic in everything. I sort of feel like Eckhart uh, wrote about in his first uh, book, The Power of Now, where he was like high on life all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's helped me too. You know, when I said that to you, you were surprised. You were like, you've been doing this work for so long. Mm -hmm. But um, because I've been really living this work... Every uh, week. Well, um, that's what I said. My God, you founded the Omega Institute. Yeah, but uh, um, that's the thing about us human beings. We forget pretty easily. Yes. And it's one thing to read a book, and it's another thing to live in it. Yes. I think that's what's been so amazing about this. You didn't just tell people, read this book. You decided to create a weekly experience so people feel like, oh, I got to catch up. I got to get to this. I got to read it again. Yeah. We're on retreat together. Yes, we are all on retreat together. And it's really changing the dialogue that people have with their friends. I mean, I was at a dinner party this weekend uh, with a bunch of my friends in Santa Barbara, and this was the topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. And not only was it the the New Earth the topic of conversation, but how it has manifested in our lives and what does it mean about politics and what does it say about, you know, who we choose as our political leader and yeah. Therefore, you know, it's yeah, just I, it's awakened in so many ways. I and boy, the world needs it now. It's no uh mistake to me, it's no coincidence that rising up in these times is this situation. I think it's very related to what's going on in the world. Yeah, and I thought tonight's class was uh interesting cuz it's so direct that pain body. Everybody has one. Everybody knows what that is. And so it was sort of pr- more practical than we we've been. Didn't you think? I thought it was not only really practical, but really funny, really alive. I thought 
um, everyone was relating to it. I loved at the end when you said, do you have a pain body? And, and Eckerd said, no. And you said, a man without a pain body. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He's pretty... No, it's not lost on any of us that his uh, initials are E.T. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really. Hello. Let's go to the phone, Sally. Thanks for calling me and Oprah Winfrey. Um, I Listen, I just dropped by. I'm going to go home soon. I've already done three shows today, so I just came by to say hello, and then mm-hmm. I'll talk to Sally, and then I'm going to go All home. All right. Okay? That's a deal. So, um, Sally, you're having trouble getting rid of that pain body. Welcome to the club. We all do. But tell us specifically what's going on with you. Um, Well, since I've read the chapter, um, I've really associated with how much of the pain body is within me. And um, ever since I've realized that I've carried it for such a long time, and it's one of the main reasons why I did pick up this book, because I always felt that there was a deeper meaning to my life that I just didn't know about. Um, but when it when that comes down to getting rid of my pain body or making it go away, I have this voice inside my head that tells me um, the reason why I want to get it away is because I want to be a better person, and that's the only reason why. So it's almost more of a guilty of... I'm not that better person, so I can't get rid of it. Mm. What would you be like if you were that better person? Um, just free of not feeling bad. Mm-hmm. No, not feeling bad in my everyday life, like I'm not good enough to um, not even do anything but accomplish anything or, um, you know, just live every day to its fullest, mm-hmm. that I actually am able to do that, that that's something that, I can do without feeling guilty that it, that it, um, I can live that way. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful motivation. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that being the motivator for you to want to wake up. This, um, In fact, the part of you that knows that you could live your life to the fullest, Eckhart would say you're already more than halfway there. You know that's who you really are. It sounds like you know that. And um, he not only says that, but on page 13, uh, he says that you do not become good by trying to be good, but by finding the goodness that's already within you and allowing that goodness to emerge. But it can only emerge if something fundamental changes in your state of consciousness. So what you're the miracle you're looking for is a, is a shift in the way you see yourself and literally a shift in um, in your sense of awareness. And so to be able to. Uh, access the awareness part of yourself, the observer in you that is observing all of these thoughts. Can you do that? Can you observe the fact that, oh, gee, that's the same tape I've been playing for myself for oh, oh, how God, for many yes. years? Yeah. Yes, and yeah. it's been, and that's why it's so deep inside me. Of and It's you know, not that always... deep. It's really not mm-hmm. that deep inside you. Yeah. It is, it's not that deep, is it, Elizabeth? The pain body? Yeah. No, it's, it's actually um, so easily dissolved by exactly what you're doing, paying attention to it, being Mm -hmm. aware of it. We think we have to, like, get rid of this whole huge past. Like you were talking about today, Oprah, how you carried around your painful childhood Mm -hmm. of abuse and neglect and beatings. And uh, you you will tell us that. You, like, you realized that you could just let go of that. Yeah, I realized... 
I don't know when I realized it. Maybe it was after Power of Now or sometime. I realized that that had sort of become my story. Poor Negro child raised in poverty and beaten by her grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> now she's become a rich American. What a story. Um, I realized that that was just that. That was a, that was a story. And that essentially what I said to Eckhart uh, today is that um, I, I, st- I stepped back and was able to look at compassion to that situation and able to have gratitude. I don't know if you're at that space yet where you can be grateful for everything that has happened into your life. Maya Angelou says, wouldn't take nothing from a journey now that everything in your life has helped to give you the strength and the grace that you now hold uh, to be in the space that you're in. And so to recognize that whatever has happened to you, people did things to you that you feel that shouldn't have been done. They did the best thing they knew how. I thought Eckhart said it so beautifully tonight. Uh, do we have a tape of that? When he said that, no, he was talking about the consciousness that people do whatever they're conscious of doing at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that nobody does anything if they um, have the consciousness not to do it. Right. It's, it's, it's based on it's where they are at that time. It's their pain body doing yeah. it. It's not them. So my grandmother whipped me because she was whipped. And her mother whipped her because she was whipped. And that all is, comes from slavery. That's what people did when you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You were taken out and you were whipped. And so what we learned in our culture was when somebody does something that you don't like, you whip them, even if they are your children. You whip them and you punish them and you do the same thing the slave master did. You say, do not cry. Do not show any emotion because I don't want to be reminded that I've caused you any Mm. pain. So I don't want you in my presence reminding me that I've caused you any pain. And so, you know, as I said to him, that's funny. He said, what did you do with it? I ate it. (laughs) (laughs) I ate it. Sally, it sounds like you have some of what Oprah's talking about, this sense that you don't deserve uh, the fullness of life from something, some old stories in you that you got told. Is that true? Yes, and it doesn't come from people doing things to me. It's actually just choices that I've made Mm -hmm. myself as far as, um, you know, because I don't really really see it as it being – you know, or is remembering many things being done to me by other people, but more of like choices that I've made that in my mind have been, has caused me to have a very negative. So why are you holding on to the story? Why are you holding on to the story? What is it about the story that you just love so much that you love holding on to this story? I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't. And I'm ready to let it go. Yeah. Um, I just, it just feels, I don't know. I mean, yeah. let's let's listen to this clip from Eckhart, because if Eckhart could have let go of what he was going through, um, and Oprah could, I think, you know, really all of us can. It's a choice. You're already making that choice, so um, we're happy for you that you're calling in. But let's listen to clip, this clip, and thanks for calling, Sally. These thoughts pretend to be important and necessary. These thoughts want to draw in all your conscious attention. And it's almost as if every thought were saying, give me your attention. This is very important. You must think about this. Think, mm-hmm. think. Right. So these, the thoughts have the ability, they have a certain momentum behind them. The ment- the, this is the momentum of the mind. And so it's not easy to become free of that. But the first freedom is in realizing their futility in the moment they happen. 
and to realize that it is, they fulfill no useful purpose except to make your life miserable. Yeah, because what has the obsessing gotten you? I had a very, very heavy pain body that drove me almost cl very close to suicide until I, the realization came, I cannot live with myself any longer. And that, that thought was the breakthrough where the separation happened from the consciousness that I am and the ego and the pain body that I had been identified with as the unhappy little me. Were you really actually going to kill yourself? Um, did, you, did you have a plan to kill yourself? Yes, I had my first plans to kill myself I already had at the age of nine and ten. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I had worked it all out, but somehow I didn't quite have the courage yet to do it. Because the pain body was so heavy all, even at all, 9 10. Already then it was quite heavy. Then it subsided a little bit, and then it came back again very strongly in my 20s. Wow. And what was it? What was it that caused you to feel you felt depressed, you felt unworthy, you felt what? It was partly living in... Uh, almost continuous conflict in the home environment between my parents who mm -hmm. were always fighting. There was very little peace at home. Mm -hmm. I was very sensitive, so it was very hard for me to even be there at home. Mm -hmm. As you say in the book, for children who watch their parents fight, right. it's almost unbearable. Yes, and, and that of course contributes to their, the child's growing pain body. Mm -hmm. So my pain body grew very quickly mm -hmm. and uh, but if, if, I, if this had not been the case, I would never have awakened. Out right. It. It, I would have been in a relatively pleasant dream. That's right. If you'd had a nice, happy childhood, you might not be sitting here teaching with us tonight. Certainly not. You know, um, before you go, I want to ask you something that so many people have been writing in to the message boards and friends have been asking me. So let's say you have a really, really terrible childhood, mm -hmm. and let's say you also have the kind of childhood um, that Eckhart talks about where people aren't necessarily expressing hostility or violence in the home, but he says that can even be worse for a child's developing pain body, this sort of repressed pain. One of the things he said tonight was very key. He said, I was always a sensitive child, and you can tell that now. He's a very sensitive man. Yeah. And... Uh, Sensitive children, I remember many years ago doing a show uh, called uh, something like The Black Sheep in the Family, and this person who was on, therapist or counselor, was saying that the so-called black sheep of the family is usually the person who is the most sensitive, the child who absorbs all the energy in the household that's able to really take it all in in a way that other people in the family cannot, and that when you are that child you carry the energy or the pain body of the whole family yeah, yeah. forward in a way. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I interrupted your well, question. Well, what I wanted to ask you was, I know for myself, um, it didn't happen for me um, like Eckhart where one day I woke up. Mm -hmm. I have used the practice not only of spiritual practice but also psychotherapy to sort of identify what happened in my childhood, because it's so confusing, especially in your 20s and 30s. It's just even hard to remember what the heck happened. What do you think about the use of, of psychotherapy in, in this work? Oh, I think it's all good. I think that um, this work is multi-layered, and however the path 
uh, however you are guided on the path, whether it be through your religion or through, you know, reading your book, Broken Open, which is really a fabulous book for uh, beginning to see more clearly how the the experiences in your life are there to help open you up and to teach you and to break you open or to cause the big bang inside yourself, as uh, the French said. Um, but how, you know, in psychotherapy, I've never been to a therapist. You haven't? No, I've never been to a therapist. That's so interesting. No. No, I haven't. Uh-huh. Mainly because I've all I've been doing TV with therapists since I was uh since 1978. Yeah, you got a couch there. Yeah, I've had a couch and so I've had all my therapy on television. Uh-huh. I've really paid attention and I've been a great I've been a great listener uh over the years to all the many 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 teachers who've come mm-hmm. through the Oprah show and um have been an observer and been obedient to to the calling of my life in mm-hmm. such a way that I, I, I never found it necessary. Mm-hmm. Never found it necessary. That's but that's what? That's interesting to me because um, you must have a really innate wisdom about, about the human psyche because you seem like a very, um, you know, you've let go of so much of the past, not in a way that's denying it. You know, sometimes people feel, I let go of it. They, they really didn't. They're yeah, just feeding yeah. the pain body even more. But I think what is, as I say, the great lesson for me has been to learn from my viewers, the the viewers and the audience. Mm-hmm. I've grown up with them as they've grown up with me, uh, watching the show the past however 23 years now almost. And I really have paid attention. I haven't just been sitting there doing TV or playing TV and I've had, you know, multiple aha moments. I've had multiple layers of discovery, you know, every day. I've had a front row seat, the Oprah Winfrey show, mm-hmm. you know, getting to not just be a voyeur in somebody's life, but to use their life to not make mistakes in my own, to use their lives to see how they're able to be triumphant. Oh, so I could do the same mm-hmm. thing. I think that's um, actually the next step in both therapy and spirituality, mm-hmm. which is a more of a community-based experience where we do it together. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Well, that's why this New Earth experience is so fantastic, is that we all get to come together, and it feels like the greatest. You know, I'm one of those people who would never have gone to a community meeting or a, you know, town hall gathering or yeah. <laughs> anything like that. I mean, in December when I came out to speak for Obama, that's the first time I'd ever been to a political rally because I'm not the kind of person who would do that. Mm-hmm. Now you've created the largest classroom on earth. The la- largest ca- classroom on earth and the greatest community, Monday night community meeting totally. around yeah. the globe. So let me just remind everybody that we're listening to a New Earth After Show, and I'm Elizabeth Lesser, and, and this is Oprah Winfrey. And if you're tuning in right now for Marianne Williamson on A Course of Miracles, just hold tight. She's going to be joining you in a half an hour from now. So um, one of my favorite lines that Eckhart repeated again tonight was, worry Worry pretends to be be necessary. necessary. And um, I, you know, I was going through some notes and I came up with these, these really fascinating little facts about what people worry about and how completely unnecessary they are, how like irrational. Mm -hmm. Do you know that a person's risk of dying from a shark bite 
in a lifetime, a whole lifetime, is one in three million seven hundred thousand. But in a car wreck, it's one in eighty-eight. Wow. But we're so afraid of sharks and worry about that in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But we're not worried when we get into a car. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of the mind, like, obsessing on things that aren't even worth obsessing well, on. Well, I think that what a new earth does, I mean, I mean, immediately is allows you to. That's why I was talking to that woman at Borders tonight. I'm thinking, well, how far in the book have you gotten if you're still obsessing about things? Because immediately, that's one of the first things I think you're able to do is to see the mind for what it is and recognize that you are the awareness, you're the space in between, and that, you know, those are just thoughts and just bring yourself back to your breath. I mean, I've been doing that. I've been bringing myself back to the breath. I've been, you know, th- the thing that you shared with me about being uh, in, in the, remember you emailed me and said that you were at McDonald's, you were in the airport and there were some noisy people at the McDonald's. Yeah. And you allowed yourself to be transparent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that That's one of the practices that's affected me the most from this book. I was, I've been flying here from New York to Chicago every week to be here for the webcast and for the radio show. Mm-hmm. And um, so inevitably when you sh- fly in and out of Chicago, you wait in the airport for hours because the planes are delayed. Yeah. And so it was uh, spring break and I was waiting in the area where all the flights to Orlando were going. And there were (laughs) thousands of children and families, and everyone seemed to be eating McDonald's because the uh, planes had been delayed. Uh And it was, I was about to, I could feel, I could feel the anxiety rising up in me. And I did this practice that he suggests, which is feel yourself transparent so that there's nothing for stimulus to push up against. So mm-hmm. the smell comes into you and it goes right out of you. And I suddenly, this the oddest thing happened to me. I started to fall in love with everyone in the room. Why wow. becoming transparent would make that happen? It did. I just felt like I loved everybody. Uh, so was, all the noisy kids didn't bother you? No. All I, of a sudden it became okay? Yeah, I sat there for like three hours. Now tell me again what you did. <laughs> <laughs> What did you do? I had involved no drugs or no alcohol. Drugs. You said to yourself, I am transparent and this it's, is just, I'm going to let not the noise. Even, it's not even what? saying to yourself, you know, the way he says to get in touch with your inner body, the right. sense of intense aliveness in you. Mm-hmm. I got so in touch with it that all there was, was aliveness, which actually is the formlessness. Right. So I was transparent. I I had nothing there for the smells or the noise to push up against. Wow. So I suddenly was just joining them. Very good. Now, I can do that if I'm in nature. I'm in nature. I can do that very well. And, you know, I live in a place where I have a lot of trees, and I love the trees and all that. So I've been able to be more in touch, but I haven't been in a noisy airport where I mm-hmm. had to actually put it into practice. Yeah, well, But I do. I mean, I was in a meeting uh, recently, and I was being agitated by what was going on because the energy was very agitating energy. And I was able to just breathe myself through it. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, I don't have to take this on. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be drawn into the agitation or the, the anxiety. Mm-hmm. I can just... Be present. I right. can be present. I'm present. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Eckhart had some actual 
practices that he gave this evening, talking to you about how to pull off what you and I are talking about. Right. Let's listen to that. It's very important to clear up your mind mm -hmm. so that you stop the continuous negativity mm -hmm. of the egoic self-talk, as we could call it. So device number one, to step out of the stream of negative thinking, mm -hmm. come into the present moment, take one or two conscious breaths. Ah, you've stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or feel the inner body, feel the aliveness in your arms, your hands, your legs. Put your attention there. Right. You've stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or look at something and bring your full consciousness to the act of perception. For example, a tree or a flower, anything natural is best. Give it your full attention. The to wind, bring you back, really. Bring you all bring, bring you back, you to, back present to present. Moment. These are all little ways in which you can step out of the stream of repetitive thinking. Okay, so uh, we have a caller on the line. Um, Kim, thank you for calling. And uh, you want to talk to me about your six-year-old? Yes, I do. Um, my question is about his pain body and the development of his pain body and my dealing with it. So when I watch him and I see him reacting to his pain body in a very angry way. And I'm embarrassed to say very often I see him the same way that I react. And my question is, how, if a child has already established some dysfunctional behaviors, can a parent teach the child to be present so that he can avoid further dysfunction? That's my first question. And the other one is, do you think a child can completely skip over the development of a pain body if he were in the right circumstances and environment and with the right people? Mm. Two great questions. I think I'm going to start with the second part, and then we'll come back to you and your your son, okay? Okay. Um, no, you you can't skip over the pain body, um, because even if you skipped over your own, you'd be living in the world which has a collective pain body. Um, kind of reminds me of the story of the Buddha. Have you ever heard the story of his life, the Buddha's life? No. It's such a great teaching story. Um, he was His parents tried to protect him from developing a pain body. They didn't use those words, of course. He was a noble prince. He was the Prince Siddhartha. And he lived in a palace and was never allowed to leave. And he never saw any suffering. Anytime anything like untoward happened, they'd like get the people out. And he never went outside. He never saw age, old age or sickness or death. Um, he never was hungry. He never saw hungry people. And they wanted to protect him from suffering. And then when he was about 20, he finally went out of the palace without anybody knowing. He went in this chariot. And every time he'd see something, he'd saw an old man and he'd stop the cart and say, What's, what is that? And the chariot driver said, oh, that's an old man. And he said, what's old? And the chariot driver explained it to him, and he saw sickness, and he saw uh, a corpse. And by the end of his excursion, he, he, was, he was just, his mind was blown. And he went back to the, the palace, and he packed his things, and he left. And he went into the woods for six years, and he sat until he fully understood that life 
is suffering. There is suffering in life. He called it the first noble truth. And that woke him up. Understanding pain woke him up out of the dream. And he went on then to become a great spiritual teacher that helped other people use the pain body to awaken. Eckhart talked about that this evening, how his own thoughts of suicide are what what woke him up. So no, you can't prevent anyone from experiencing pain. You wouldn't want to. That's what wakes us up. So the fact that your son has a pain body and is mysteriously acting like you, you know, (laughs) that's what they (laughs) do. Oh, it is so embarrassing, isn't it? When I see my kids doing what my own negative stuff, it's, it's horrifying. But first of all, you can relax. All of our kids do that. You know, you didn't do something peculiarly awful with your child. But your question about how do you prevent him from getting a, a really heavy pain body that causes unnecessary suffering, um, you know, it's for you to model to him how you're dealing with your pain body, how you're owning it, you're observing it, and through observation and honest looking at it, you're dissolving it because you're going into the stillness, feeling it, not resisting it, and letting it go. If he can see you, you know, you're revving up, you're in traffic, you're really getting angry, and then he sees you slowing down, looking at smiling, even saying to him, wow, I was just about to get really mad, and I realized there's nothing to get mad about. Here we are in the car together having a great time. The more you can do that, that's how he's going to learn. You can't tell him this, especially a child. You can that's model it. what I find it. myself trying to do is trying to coach him through the situations or after it's happened, trying to teach him to feel his breathing and to be in touch with his physical body. And I I don't know how well that's working, and there are times that I'm wondering if I'm even choosing the right words. Mm -hmm. Well, what what does happen? What does happen when you do that with him? Uh, There are times that he will say, okay, um, and eventually he might get it. And other times he looks at me like, you know, you'd expect a six-year-old to look at a grown-up who's talking way over their head (laughs) to look at you like you have nine heads. Well, I I don't think it's wrong to every now and then coach him in the moment. Um, But I don't think that should be the major work that you do with your son. The major work is you modeling uh, working with your own pain body and um, expressing what you're doing. You can tell him what you're doing. That will have more relevance to him than you after the facts trying to teach him how to meditate or breathe. Uh, I would, I would, you model it and even tell him what you're doing it when you're doing it. Right. And, and the times that, and I have heard other people in the course talking about, um, you know, not being present and reacting, you know. And so if I react in anger, there are times that I, I think I'm, I'm feeling a little stuck as to how to explain to him, you know, there's, uh, it's so contrary what I'm telling him to do and then what I've done myself. Yeah, exactly. The times that I do miss, n- totally miss the mark mm-hmm. and I'm totally unconscious. Um, well, you can use those times when you totally miss the mark even better than times when he's missing the mark. You can just say to him, boy, did I totally just blow it. Did you see what I did? 
That's what I just did. Mm-hmm. I became aware of it. It's going to help me next time not do it. And, and, and that'll make him seem, you seem so human and accessible and real. Suddenly you're not just the role. Remember the chapter on roles last mm-hmm. week? You're not just the role of mom. You're a person being. You're sharing your beingness with his beingness. I, I think um, I'll, I'll end our call by um, a clip from last week when Eckhart and Oprah were talking about parents and children, and, and maybe you'll enjoy this. And thanks so much for calling. Every human being has to go through a certain amount of suffering. You cannot come into this planet and avoid suffering. Because that's what being a human being is. Yes. There's some discord. Yes. Yes. And that is how we grow. Uh, So I hope that helped you, and and I hope other people, I hope you'll call me. You can call me at 866-677-2496. That's 866-OPRA-XM. And we have Kevin on the line, and you have a related question about the pain body in children. Yes, I do. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, thank both of you for, uh, as well as Eckert, for a, just a wonderful program, so thought provoking and so enriching and enlightening that it's just been a phenomenal experience for me. My question to you is this: um, Are human beings, and, and I guess uh, maybe Eckert might uh, be able to answer this in a in a in his own words also, but are human beings born good? And it's always been my belief that humans are born good. Uh, yet, uh, as a Christian, uh, our, my belief, and we're taught that we are not born good, in fact, that we are born with original sin, and that only through baptism can we become good people. Uh, I've never really believed that uh, as a Christian, and there are other things I don't believe as a Christian. But here is, uh, are we born good, or are, is the pain body transferred through conception, uh, through sperm? Is this energy transferred through conception to the point where we are born? We All are, right. So um, let me let me try to um, paraphrase what you're saying. I love your question. Um, are we born good? And so this gets into the question of original sin, or there's a there's a Catholic priest I love, Matthew Fox, who talks about original blessing. He turns that phrase on its side and says, "No, we were born through original blessing." And then you're also asking about um, can you only become good through baptism? You know, I've been thinking a lot as Eckhart talks and and reading that um, because I I love a lot of the Christian language and teachings and the idea of baptism to me, I think Eckhart would say that awareness is the same as baptism, that when you shine the light of awareness on behavior in yourself that stems from the pain body, you are in a way being baptized by by spirit, by awareness. So I don't think there's anything really at odds in what he's saying with a lot of the Christian doctrine. And um, are humans born good? Let's just 
uh, let's just put it this way. Humans are born, and in every single moment, we have the opportunity to be present to whatever is happening, and that awareness awakens within us our natural goodness. I do think that the natural state of life, of energy, is is good. If by good you mean whole, holy, sacred, full of cosmic, beautiful energy, I do think that that is our birthright. It's there at every moment. It's available to us, and our stories, our mind talk, our pain bodies— get in the way of of natural goodness, and all we have to do is be baptized by awareness, and we wake up to that goodness. Um, What a wonderful way to put it, Uh, and I've always believed that, except you've just articulated that in a a much deeper way and more meaningful, and that makes perfect sense to me, yeah. Okay, thanks so much for calling. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's been a whole lot of talk on the chat boards on Oprah.com from people who are um, uh, confused about their religion and the information in a new earth. And I, I just really would tell people that there's really no conflict here. It's a way of getting into the depth of your spiritual path. So, Tina, welcome to a new earth after show. And... Um, uh, I understand that you're saying that you are married to your pain body. Tina, are you there? Well, I guess we've lost Tina and her pain body. They have... Okay, so maybe Barb's on the line, yes? Hello? Barbara? Yes. Hi. Hi, thank you for doing this. This is such an awakening moment. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. What What would you like to talk about? Well, I just wanted to tell you that I lost my husband two years ago, and I feel that was my awakening, and that was my suffering that brought me to this point. Mm. My question is, um, just because of the men I've chosen in my life, it feels like I'm choosing a person that has a lot of pain body, and I never realized it until now. How do you respond to someone, or how do you not respond to someone when they're going through this drama? Mm-hmm. So um, can you give a little example of what happens? Um, well, the, the man I'm involved with now, he, he's always talking about his ex, and she did this, and this wasn't right, and this, this is always happening to me, and nothing does, works out right for me, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just... Well, um, Eckhart talked so much about that tonight, and uh, if you didn't have a chance to... Uh, see the webcast. You can go back at any time on Oprah.com. Anybody wow. can and watch it because I, I just loved a lot of what he said uh, about not engaging with people's drama. Now, um, there's there's ways to do that and ways not to do it. Um, sometimes people think what he means is you just sit there like a stone and have no reaction at all. But Um, you actually can change the energy of a situation and of a person and of an interaction by the way you are around it. So let's say the man in your life now is angry, gossiping, talking negatively about other people. You can listen to him. You can listen to him with your full attention and shower 
a sense of seeing who he is, noticing that he's coming from his pain body, and see behind the pain body to the core self that you were attracted to. I imagine when you first fell in love with this man that you were attracted to something, correct? Right. So and, that, and I know that's not who he is. Yeah. So if you, in an interaction with him, don't relate to his pain body, but instead your own non-egoic self starts looking for little bits of light shining through his pain body drama and start relating to that. You don't have to, he doesn't have to talk about it, but you relate to it. It can really have somewhat of a miraculous um, effect on him where suddenly you're not feeding his pain body. You're not feeding his drama. You're not responding to his story, but you're being with him. You're still listening to him. You're still respecting who he really is. Now, but if I don't respond in some way, then he just keeps going on thinking I'm not listening. Well, um, how does that show up? Like, what does he say? He just repeats what he had to say. Like, mm -hmm. didn't you hear me? You know, mm -hmm. like he's waiting because I had before just reacted to what he would say. Mm -hmm. You know, now I I just tell him, you know what? If you don't have anything good to say about somebody. I don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, is that my ego or, or is that my... Well, it depends how you say it to him. If you say it like, I'm so sick of hearing you run people down, I don't want to hear it, that's just going to feed more of right. his pain body. If you say it, if you say to him, wow, it sounds like you had a really hard day. That must have been hard. Um, what else happened today? Did anything good happen today? Or you say, that must have been hard, but I want to tell you something great that happened in my day. It doesn't have to be great, but just you right. talking to him and modeling a way of being, but not lecturing him, not acting morally superior. I mean, of course, you're going to have to try this for a while. People say, well, I tried it, and he just kept talking. But you may have to try it for six months to see, just to give someone a huge chance to transform through your own transformative behavior uh, and and then see what happens, um, but really give it a good try. So you're saying that when they say something like that, and, and I have friends that do the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, so when someone says something like that, they want to engage you into this conversation or this gossip or whatever, um, then you can just say, well, that's nice, or, or that's not, you know, or, well, that's unfortunate, or, or something like that. Right. Yeah, something like, yeah, I, I Acknowledge hear, it. You have to acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah you, you, just, you, you do have to acknowledge it, or you're just going to go around like a mute. But you can just say, yeah, I, I hear that that was hard for you. You know, um, Eckhart had um, uh, something to say about that. I think we listened to that clip already, but um, I'd like to to end my phone call with you hearing it again, um, at the pain body, how it needs to feed on other people. And this is going to explain to you why not reacting to your man or your friends actually is going to help them. Remnants of negative emotions, they accumulate in the body. Mm -hmm. and I then, ate mine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then together they form what I call energy form. Entity is another word for it. Mm -hmm. An energy form lives in you. You may not be aware of all the time because some of the time it is dormant and it's only active for a certain 
percentage of time, negative thoughts will feed the pain body. That is one of the favorite ways the mm -hmm. pain body to feed is on your, your own thinking. Mm -hmm. So this is very important for people to realize, to observe within themselves that an addiction to negativity arises. And if you can recognize that, then you're no longer totally at the mercy of it. Right, because the awareness dissipates it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So we just have a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to um, I want to go back to something that last week a caller really touched me with her question about um, being at work and um, wanting to change the way people were. Um, a lot like our last caller just talked about, like how do you change a toxic work situation? And she was saying how it's a male-dominated workplace, and she doesn't understand the way people talk there, and she wants to bring a new energy in. And um, in this week's chapter, Chapter 5, The Pain Body, Eckhart ends the chapter talking about um, women and how he says that because the ego is not as rooted as deeply in women, that um, it's losing its hold now in general, in women more than men. And um, men are certainly coming along too, but um, he was talking about how so many more women are attracted to this work. And that was really, really interesting to me, and it gave me a lot of uh, courage as a woman um, on a spiritual path to like stand really firm in what I know from my feminine self. Men have a feminine self too, we all have the masculine in us and the feminine in us. But the feminine has really been silenced a lot in many cultures in the world. And Eckhart gave me the strength in this passage that he wrote that um, he says the suppression of the feminine principle, especially over the past 2,000 years, has enabled the ego to gain absolute supremacy in the collective human psyche. And although women have egos, of course, the female form is less rigidly encapsulated than the male, has greater openness and sensitivity toward other life forms, and is more attuned to the natural world. And it made me really feel like what women know about caring and nurturing and, and feeling uh, in touch with nature is something the world needs tremendously these days. So this um, has given me a lot of courage to really trust my feminine instincts. And I hope it, it's giving everyone, men and women, the courage to trust that part of us that um, yearns for a new earth. Hey, I hope you'll join me again next week. We'll be talking again about this remarkable book and webcast. It's been a pleasure sharing this hour with you. Stay tuned. Marianne Williamson is going to be on talking about A Course in Miracles. You've been listening to A New Earth After Show. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Elizabeth Lesser on A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, an Oprah and Friends exclusive. Now join us for Marianne Williamson on A Course in Miracles. 